Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We were concerned to find out whether this was a new phenomenon or simply one that was newly recognized, and whether it was increasing in frequency, and who was really affected. That's Dr. James Curran, back in 2011. And then we deployed uh, physicians and epidemiologists to all of the major cities of the country in search of cases. He was reflecting on his time leading a task force on HIV-AIDS at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For Dr. Curran, it was the defining period of his 25 years there. In 1995, He became dean of Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health, and he still holds that position today. Whether it's HIV-AIDS or influenza, Dr. Curran has spent his career walking this tightrope between science and politics. So today, he's going to join me to talk about how to get the messaging right, and also how inconsistent messaging from our leaders has set us back in this fight against the coronavirus. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. James Kern and I are both doctors. We're both on faculty at Emory, and we both live in Georgia. Last week, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp declared he was suing Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms over her ordinance requiring people to wear masks. Here's Governor Kemp. Mayor Bottoms' mask mandate cannot be enforced, but her decision to shutter businesses and undermine economic growth is devastating. Atlanta businesses are hurting. Violent crime is up, and families are rightfully worried. And here's Mayor Bottoms on CNN Friday morning. I don't think it was happenstance that this lawsuit was filed the day after Donald Trump visited Atlanta. And I pointed out that he did not have on a mask at Atlanta's Hartsville-Jackson International Airport, and that was in violation of state law. I do believe it's personal retaliation, and he sued us personally. He did not sue the city of Atlanta. He filed suit against myself and our city council personally. So I first wanted to know what Dr. Curran makes of all of this. Well, I don't get it. I just think it's, uh, it's, it's very hard to explain. You know, we get caught up in this issue of enforcement. A lot of things about COVID are very, very simple, but we try to make them much more complicated. There are relatively few things we can do, and one of those is consistently wearing a mask. And it isn't a question of following every citizen around every day with a policeman to make sure they're wearing a mask. It's, a, it's an issue of consistent leadership. I've been proud of the governor because every time he's in public, he wears a mask. And he encourages other people to wear a mask. So why discourage people who are trying to enforce that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. One of our problems has been inconsistency in messaging. And we need to have consistent messaging. Everybody should say everybody should wear a mask all the time in indoor places and in crowded outdoor places, period. 
And if some people want to make that a mandate, some people want to make that a state mandate, let them do it. I mean, we should probably have a national mandate and that would make it simpler. But wasting time and money by suing each other and, and, and getting into partisan politics is one of the crimes we have in battling COVID. Yeah, I, and you know, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think in some ways you're the perfect person to talk to about this. I don't, I don't understand it either. I'll preface by saying that. But it does strike me if you were to draw the analogy between being a doctor taking care of a patient or, in this case, uh, taking care of the country, the idea that, look— you should take this therapy. This will help you get through your disease. But you know what? You don't really have to. And by the way, if anyone says you have to, I'm going to sue them. Ultimately, you would never think of a physician-patient relationship sort of playing out that way, right? You, you go to the doctor because you want to get the best guidance and advice. Not saying all patients follow that guidance and advice, but that's what's should happen. And here, it seems like the governor is purposely trying to have it both ways. I will wear a mask while greeting the president on the tarmac. I will extend the emergency declaration. But how dare you actually enforce this? How dare you actually create a system in the state where people are mandated to wear masks? I mean, when we're talking about COVID, we're not talking about Republicans and Democrats. We're talking about saving lives. I mean, is it, is it really a partisan issue? What is partisan about wearing a mask? It's ridiculous. And, and it should be ridiculous for governors and mayors and everyone else to disagree with this. This is just an American thing to do to save people's lives. You wrote a letter, co-wrote a letter in May, basically uh, calling on the CDC to, to lead the country's efforts in fighting coronavirus. Since that point now, so roughly two months, two months ago, since you wrote that letter, how has the CDC done, in your opinion? And I realize in asking you this, I'm talking about an institution where you lived and worked and helped lead for a long time. Well, uh, I think the CDC has done a lot of the nuts and bolts things it does uh, pretty well. They've issued nearly 2,000 guidelines, published uh, three or four MMWR articles, which is the, you know, the articles that can come out quickly without external peer review on, on findings but they've never been pushed to the front the way they should have been. When Even in the AIDS epidemic with uh, Ronald Reagan and the, uh, the scarcity that went along with the budgets in those days, uh, we were always, if we had an MMWR article on something, we were always in the press immediately. We were right out there explaining to the people the implications of it. So if the CDC has an MMWR article like they have on nursing homes, for example, and their MMWR article says that 35 or 40% of the people are asymptomatic in nursing homes, and the death rate is 20%, you know, that should have been national news. I mean, almost a half of the deaths in the first couple months were in people from nursing homes and senior care facilities. I mean, that's a national tragedy. That calls for immediate testing and, and tracing and isolation of everybody in every extended care facility in the entire country immediately. You know, but that wasn't given the kind of priority it could have been because it didn't have enough people explaining the implications of that particular study. And, and there, are, there are dozens and hundreds of people at the CDC who could contribute to this. I mean, it, ironically, many of us pundits on TV and radio are, are alumni of the CDC. Mm -hmm. And yet we're not hearing from them in the way that we should. We're not hearing from them in the way that we heard from them during Ebola with Tom Frieden during H1N1 with Rich Besser. 
Is, is it just an obvious answer? Is, it, is this just politics? It begins with the heavy politicization of what's going on. And, and what we're seeing now is, a, is sort of a, the, the, the national government turning away from COVID, if you will, and, and turning toward the election as a priority. And so the message and the messengers had to be, you know, always thinking about that first. The CDC, you know, everybody made mistakes in the beginning. I, I would say that the entire country uh, underestimated the problem. The CDC was part of the initial mess with in availability of testing. So they, they screwed up, okay, with the testing issue. But so did other people. So did the FDA and so did the federal government. And people are still screwing up with the testing issue. This is really hard. But that doesn't mean, well, we're not going to listen to the CDC anymore. We'll listen to the uh, trade advisor instead or something. I mean, the thing is, you still need those experts. And you got to let them make mistakes and then come back because they're still experts. They're being portrayed in news articles as unforgivable errors and signs of uh, inadequacy in the science and government. Um, and I think that that's, it's sort of harmful in the short run. This is really like when, when, uh, when my father in Michigan, uh, many years before your father in Michigan, uh, when my father in Michigan said, you know, World War II made the country different. It's never been the same since. Well, COVID is gonna make the country and the world different. It's never gonna be the same. It's never gonna be the same in universities. It's never gonna be the same in schools. Um, some of these changes will be good, but some of them won't be good, but they're going to be different. And, and we've got to deal with it now as best we can and save the lives of the people we have and stop the denial and inconsistency. Are you optimistic that we can still get there, doctor? I mean, if you were given the keys to the kingdom now <laughs> and could make some recommendations, well, how optimistic are you? Well, I, um, I'll say a couple of things. One is no one would ever give me the keys to the kingdom. But, but the <laughs> thing is, there, I think there are two reasons I'm optimistic. When you compare this to AIDS, for example, the scientific discoveries in the scientific landscape is much better than it was then. I mean, this, the virus was sequenced, independent of whether it was a week or two later than it should have been from China. The, the sequence of the virus was, was sent around the world essentially within days to weeks of, 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 of the first case. Uh, with HIV, it took a year and a half or two years to even isolate the cause. And it took longer to sequence the virus, and we still don't have a vaccine. Um, because it's a coronavirus and there's neutralizing antibodies, there's some reason to believe that vaccines might be effective and they might be available soon. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty about that, and you could have naysayers, but I think that there's reason for hope. Uh, there's also reason for hope that some therapies will get better. So I think that there are technological advances which are for which we can be quite hopeful and not be unreasonably hopeful. The other reason I'm optimistic is that the virus doesn't last very long. You know, I've been working on a virus which lasts for life. So once you're infected with HIV, you've got it forever. Um, this virus lasts about three weeks. So that means that everybody in the world who's infected now won't be infected in three weeks. Okay, maybe a few of them a few weeks more, but for the most part, three weeks. That means that everybody who's going to go in the hospital a month from now has yet to be infected. So we could change. I mean, if we could stop it all now, it would be done. I mean, that's pretty, that's a big challenge. And that explains why a place like New York City, I mean, if there's any place this would be uncontrollable, it would be New York. 
the most crowded place in the world. But somehow we went from 800 deaths a day down to zero? Impossible. If New York can do it, anybody can do it. Now, in the best situation, every governor in the country would be calling Cuomo and say, how did you do it? But instead, they say, you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican. You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. It would be painful. But I tell you, if, if I was, had the keys to the kingdom and I was running for office, I'd throw my boat right in there. And I'd say, I'm not going to campaign at all. I'm just going to stop this virus. Talk to me later. And then by October, I'd smile at you and say, we did it. And you might vote for me. Frankly, this is the best I've felt in a while. Listen, I mean, you know, because I, I've been a bit despondent about this, uh, Dr. Curran. You know, I just and, and, and you're absolutely right to remind us of what is possible. Dr. Curran has worked in public health for a total of 50 years. He's an expert. And his expert opinion is that this country's leaders have failed us in stopping this pandemic. It's a tough realization. It's one that neither one of us like to share. But there is a path forward as well. So I plan to listen to Dr. Curran and his colleagues first and foremost and follow their advice. I'll wear my mask everywhere, even if it's not legally required. I'll avoid crowded areas and I'll isolate myself if I have any symptoms. I urge you to do the same. This isn't that complicated. As frightening as all of this is, there is a much brighter future if we collectively band together and do the right thing. It's up to us now. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them in our next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.